1: Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary, void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what we say, but me I gotta say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago But the thing about slavery it's affecting people now I tell you no lie when i
2: see a film Peace. about slavery and welcome mind. to the one. abolitionist daily it was it was the this is a daily man program man. designed as is a, a spin off directly so from the new abolitionist radio weekly mind. program i am your host Johan and Aliyah the, the Black Talk Radio me. Network And around here we talk about abolition Abolition of modern day slavery Legal slavery We of course stand in solidarity With anyone who's a freedom fighter Anyone who is looking to end The mass What is it I think they said 27 million Or or more people are Engaged in some kind of slavery around the planet Right now of course we recognize that And we stand in solidarity with those Movements But you can't abolish something that's already Illegal And here in America, we have a very unique situation. We are the only, or at least one of the only, if not the only country left on the planet that has legal slavery in place. And right now, we estimate it's generating quite possibly close to a trillion dollars in revenue. When you look at all the people who have jobs and all the contractors and all of the companies that service the prison industries and the prison industries themselves collecting billions and billions in taxpayer dollars and all the fees and the court fees and all of the everything that adds up to people being incarcerated and as according to the 13th amendment which said that slavery was abolished except as a punishment for a crime whereof the person Shall have been duly convicted. So, on this program, that's what we discuss is the chain of events. In some cases, we'll give you timelines and discuss with you very specific details of different things that happened from the earliest records of slavery on this continent, on this, in this country, in the new world, in the colonial era, and show you the timeline of the laws and the statutes that came about to keep certain people and for several hundred years, definitely black folks in chains and enslaved and on plantations and in subjugated situations for their entire lives and all of their generations to follow their lives. And we'll show you the direct connection between those days up through the black codes and pig laws and debt peonage prison slave labor that's been used as a part of the state for a couple hundred years and it's still going strong to this day so that's what we do here I'm glad that you joined us if you're listening in whether this is a live broadcast or you catch this on a podcast always a pleasure to have your ear and know that you came to learn and to share in the information with us Today we're going to talk about um, is an interesting chain of events that's been going on in the in the larger popular culture. I guess you would say is uh, we all know about the whistleblowers and uh, the was it Bradley Manning and I just recently watched the uh, the Fifth State movie about the uh, uh, Julian Assange and the whole WikiLeaks thing, how that came about and sort of his legacy and that we know like uh, under Obama's administration I think he's had eight whistleblowers prosecuted which is more than all other presidents ever, you know, combined all together. He's had like I think eight now that have been prosecuted uh brought to brought to court to face whistleblower charges and giving up state secrets or telling the public about the nefarious plans of the the government and what they have planned against us, that type of thing. There's one man John Kirakal, who exposed the Bush-era torture program, and he was sentenced to two and a half years in prison. So, while he worked for the CIA, he spent 14 years as an analyst and a case officer. I believe he spoke about working in uh, Pakistan uh, specifically. He's been in, you know, in the on the front lines and and seen, you know, handling of spies and sensitive information and all this type of thing. But he spoke out on America's torture of uh, prisoners of war and people that we were keeping, you know, whether it be Guantanamo or Abu Ghraib. He spoke out on on torture, and he paid the price. He went to prison for a couple years behind it. But what happened to him in prison is he got introduced to American slavery and torture. And he came out, from what I've seen of his live interviews and, and what I've read of what he's spoken on, he came out a a changed man. He came out a, a a person with his soul intact. And, um, it would appear that this is a calling for his life at this point is to work to get the word out and to work for prison reform. And I know on this program, we do not advocate reform as our chief means of attacking these problems. Um, But I think all mainstream people come from, you know, incredulence and ignorance on the topic to coming into some knowledge and their first thought is reform before they realize how widespread and out of control the situation really is. And then you start to see who's going to become an abolitionist, who's going to be looking to tear it down. So where is it now with reform? I'll take that because he's a he's a very uh, public figure, and he has the the uh, budget to you know put some some muscle behind this movement. And uh, but by all means, we don't advocate reform because I mean this is slavery. So I would challenge anyone to say that they can reform slavery. Can you reform rape? Can you reform torture? Can you reform human suffering and abuses? Can you reform prison murder? We've reported on that and we'll continue to as long as they keep doing it. You know the the crazy numbers of people that are dying in custody. can you reform giving people zero health care, giving people Tylenol or a leave for cancer? Can you reform that, or do you have to just abolish those types of systems? Um, the government wants to take control of people's lives Whether it be from immigration Or you know in the commission of, of Crimes or when people have been found guilty Anyway whether the laws are just Or not I mean as, as you sometimes see the memes Or see a commentary about um, You know when And not to go Making an equivalency of you know everything bad has to be the, from the Holocaust or whatever. But just the point is is still true that you know during that time that everything that the Nazis did was legal. And historically, whenever we've seen genocides occur, these things are legal as according to you know the tradition of of Anglo-American or or Anglo-inspired uh, rule of law. These things are legal, and we're dealing with that right now, people. So that's really the purpose for this program, is to point out to you uh, and hopefully wake people up to the fact that, okay, you can argue that such and such is legal and your ancestors and forefathers that took part in genocide, that took part in enslaving people, that took part in mass rapes and Stealing of natural resources To establish Governments and establish Wealth of families and all of this That was all legal For them to do those things at those times So right now we're dealing with a similar Human rights crisis That what these people are doing Whether it be private prisons Whether it be like I said, the health care that's going on inside the prisons, these court cases are going in and nothing's really changing. This is legal. These things they're doing is legal. So that's why we need you as the abolitionist. We're also going to look at women specifically today and the skyrocketing numbers of women in prison, women of all races, ethnicities. This is insane, the numbers that, I mean, like I often talk about, when you look at the late 80s, and we hovered around two hundred thousand people in all of our prisons combined around the country and then you look today and we've got close to two point four million people in custody and we've got another seven to possibly eight million people out here roaming around under some type of supervised care some kind of corrective control whether it be house arrest, probation, parole Houses in in the jail system and not yet found guilty of crimes, people going in and out of jails every hour cycles, people just, you know, back and forth in and out of this, caught up in this web. This is a huge chunk of our population right now. This is not some little marginal issue. And we're gonna look sp- more specifically at the women's numbers uh from nineteen eighty, when there was twelve thousand three hundred women. In state and federal prisons across this country, 12,000, just a little over 12,000 women in 1982. By 2002, there was 182,000. That's a 170,000 extra women that just suddenly became criminal and just wanted to be against the law and just, you know, screw it. I'm, I'm gonna go rogue. And those numbers are even higher today. That was 2002. I mean, it's 2015. Those numbers are up over 200,000 women incarcerated now in America. So what used to be our total prison and state, uh, federal and state prison population, is now just the women. So we're looking at 800 percent increases, 900 percent increases. So we're just looking at some of the hard numbers and um, discuss some of the reports that have come out recently, and give you more facts and information, ammunition in your abolitionist arguments and there's people out there that hear this program and are affiliated with the program with the new abolitionist movement who are practicing law who are working in organizations and and working with uh, not-for-profit groups and grassroots organizations and people that are organizing marches and people that are printing off pamphlets and going out and shaking hands and reaching people and and setting up meetings and just giving an opportunity for folks to learn the truth. So we have to put this type of stuff out there for them, too, because we're like in their supply chain. This is a war effort. So we've got to give you a daily ration so you can survive, so you can feed this to the warriors that are out there in the trenches and in the streets. So we'll talk about the women. We're going to go back to Florida and talk about rick scott and not so much just getting on rick scott's case again because he's obviously never going to be anything other than what he is but with the prison problems and what's going on there um a lot of it has to do with of course the geo group and a few articles that i read over the weekend just kept them in the forefront of my mind so i felt like we should bring them back to the program today we're going to look at their uh their ring of influence not only in Florida but just with contracts that they've been able to to get set up in state to state and I mean internationally they operate in several countries um, not only America but you know Australia, South Africa, the United Kingdom, we've talked about Israel um, and some other countries in Africa as well so we're just going to look at their sphere of influence and some of the monies they've given out, uh, whether it be Democrats or Republicans, state to state, some of the people that you see out here that that are playing so tough on crime, that are having so little remorse or so little empathy towards, whether it be the immigration situation, whether it be easing back on on some of these laws that feds keep putting out on us or whatever it is. You see these people as mouthpieces out here, and you'll recognize the names when we start talking about them. I mean, Bill Richardson, Marco Rubio, hell, George Bush at one point when he was still in, uh, in, in Texas. I mean, these people give big chunks of money to these people, and then suddenly you see them show up on your news with a soundbite about being tough on crime. In whatever area that they're in authority over that state or that local government or whatever branch of government we've elected them into, we see the Geo Group is getting contracts to to do work. So we'll just you know again follow the money. And to uh, finish that aspect of the program off, we'll be talking about a report that I got from a a financial uh, industry authority, a little website that I'm a member of and keep up with with my own investments and and my own things that i have interest in markets i have interest in called uh seeking alpha and uh gentleman put out a report called can you profit from prisons and it's a pretty detailed um article where he's making a case for it for it being an okay thing to do so again uh this is a propaganda war and we are propaganda warriors so you know, when we see a, a shot fired across the bow, something like this, you know, we've got to we've got to fire back. We've got to uh, take that information and and break that down and and um, appeal to the humanity of the masses. Appeal to to reality, and not just let everything be just a, a forgettable, easy little game or what have you. We have to put this information out there for people, so they can't continue to say, "I didn't know." so if you hear this you're going to know our unexplainable uh, unexplainable black death profile is going to be a young man he was only 15 years old may he rest in peace named Brandon McLeod. shot 10 times 4 times in the head in his bedroom in his grandparents house by police who said he was involved in uh, uh, robbing a pizza delivery man and they got fed up with it so they got a warrant to come to his house and, and make a scene and arrest him and maybe scare him straight. But when they went in his room, he attacked those police according to their story. So they had no choice but to shoot him 10 times, four times in the, in the face. So we will talk about young Brandon McLeod and, uh, and wrap up our program. So like I said, we're, we're looking at this, uh, at this whistleblower, CIA whistleblower John Kirikow and he's out here now on the the campaign trail so to speak, uh, speaking on torture happening in the United States prisons because what he was about when he got in trouble was he exposed the Bush era torture program and was subsequently uh, sentenced to two and a half years in prison so once he served his time he's out here now for uh interviews and meet the press type shows or what have you and he's talking to people and i don't know how long they're going to let his star shine because if he's going to keep talking about exposing uh prison torture and what's going on in the prison system i just i don't know how long mainstream media is going to you know give him to keep speaking because we all know this is a major major operation in america and these people don't want all this stuff uh exposed. So we found an interview from Reader Supported News. Um a guy named Ken Kleppenstein is the interviewer. And it's just a straightforward back and forth conversation, but I just want to give you some of the highlights of what he had to say and help you to understand like some of what is really going on inside the prisons and why people need advocates on the outside they can't really fight the fight for themselves on the inside and we talked about that with the immigration uh, detention centers and what's been going on with the uprisings these people are locked down and at the whim of the warden we talked about St. Clair uh, free Alabama movement as soon as it's the word gets out even within the prison that they possibly want to ask, beg for these people to stop abusing them. Then suddenly it's a big problem, and we got to bring in the riot team and we got to shut down any opposition to what's going on. And the same thing in, in, uh, Wallace County. Same thing at Lee Correctional, the other facility we talked about down in Texas um the name escaped me just that fast, but so we've been showing this across the country where these people are just trying to advocate for you know get their get in contact with their attorneys, get some kind of legal help to get them either move through the system or get their appeals or get you know, wrongful convictions overturned, get some kind of a uh help with medical care some of them realize that they're being enslaved and they're fighting against the slavery aspect of it and on the inside, you know, all of that gets shut up all that gets shut down so here's a guy that's got a good name even though he was, you know, in prison he didn't get the criminal specter put over him he's a good upstanding white man he worked for the CIA for 15 years had a good record He just exposed the torture program, so he got put in prison. So it's not like he's looked at as a convict. So he's got a clear name, basically, and he can speak on this. So in this interview, this uh, Ken Kleppenstein asked him straight out, would you say that torture takes place in American prisons? He says, yes, yes, I would say that. I'll give an example. He says, I had a cellmate who I really liked as a person. Before he came to prison, he was living in a cardboard box under a bridge in Pittsburgh. He purposefully violated the terms of his parole just so he could get sent back to prison and spend the winter in prison where it's warmer and he could get some medical care. He had some mental issues. He was taking medication for his seizures. He had been homeless for years, but he was a nice guy. And this sounds a lot like the story we told about, uh, I believe his name was uh, Mr. Winslow, the gentleman in uh, Louisiana, in New Orleans, who had been arrested for the $20 weed uh, weed bag he had in a police sting. So this is who they target in a sting, is go find a homeless man who's, who had been homeless since he was 17 years old when he was arrested and convicted of uh, a burglary charge, I believe, and was still homeless and still had his mental illness problems when he was 26 and was hit with another burglary charge, breaking and entering or something to that effect. So from 26 until he's over 40 when he gets caught in this police sting now he gets hit up with a third strike and he gets life in prison for this police sting $20 bag of weed so similar story Jerome uh, Jerome Murto out of New York City the brother who we know was murdered baked to death homeless had some mental issues estranged from his family freezing cold winter tried to find a place to to hold up in the winter time police kicked in wherever he had had slipped into was just trying to sit in the stairwell and, and keep from freezing to death they kicked in that door and came and arrested him threw him in rikers Where subsequently someone put him in a cell That all the doors and windows and vents and ventilation systems And everything was completely sealed off And he was in a vacuum And they turned the heat up and up and up and up Until he was literally baked to death So here's uh, Kirikow giving a personal story about this guy That he was in the prison with That has a very similar story Homeless and mentally ill And remember we talked about on this program there are 10 times the people, not double, not three, four, five times the people, mentally ill people in prisons than in state facilities. No, none of those numbers. All those would be insane. There are over 10 times as many people with mental illness problems that need to be treated medically. And if They're indigent in state facilities that taxpayers fund. But see, taxpayers funding state mental hospitals doesn't put money in George Zoli's pocket. It doesn't provide profits for Damon Heinegger, CEO of uh, Corrections Corporation of America. It doesn't provide kickbacks to politicians when we have state mental health hospitals that our tax dollars go to and provide some sort of a buffer on our streets for our families for our communities between severe mental health problems homelessness petty low level crimes you're not finding homeless mentally ill people committing massive violence against society you're just not seeing those numbers where are those reports at these people are trying to survive in a lot of cases trying to self medicate hell I've tried to self medicate before I'm perfectly sane at least I think I am I've never been diagnosed as being being nuts I see the picture pretty clearly slavery in America is a problem but hell I've gone through times of being depressed or being upset about life or whatever or feeling despair and you crack open the bottle people do it, this is America there's more people strung out and dying on pharmaceutical drugs than street drugs in this country so people are medicating and when they don't have the money and don't have the insurance policy the insurance program to help them they self medicate and this guy's one of these people he violated some kind of way probably gave a dirty urine analysis so he could get violated back because he didn't want to freeze to death but according to the interview he says he took his own personal health very seriously and a Bureau of Prisons has to provide you with medical care while you're in prison right but what they really do is no matter what you have they just give you Tylenol and wish you well and they just hope you survive until your sentence is over and then you leave and then you're not on their dollar anymore he says so this guy comes to prison and goes down to the medical unit and he says I have a seizure disorder I have depression I have bipolar disorder He says, I don't know what they told him, but when he came back, he was very unsatisfied, so he filed a complaint. And when you file a complaint against a staff member, this is when it starts getting dicey. This is when you start to see torture come involved. This is when you start to see people getting killed in prisons. This is when you start to see people suffering the brunt end of correctional officers abusing them because he went back and filed a complaint. And he gives some specifics about what the titles are And what they escalate to and all this and that A BP 8.5 And that's an informal complaint And so it goes in writing and says the person you're complaining about gets to respond in writing also With the hope of you two being able to settle it And then the complaint just goes away So he made a complaint about whoever in the medical office told him And he just wants it to be settled So they can give him what he needs Because he's got prescription medication That he just wants to, to have filled while he's locked up But that's not how it went and it escalates and it goes to the next degree of what the report is or what have you and that finally goes to the Bureau of Prisons headquarters and in the whole process though it takes sometimes up to a year so this whole time he's just in for these few months or hoping you know and get over the winter but now this whole thing could take years and now he's upset someone in the system so they're going to throw him in solitary which is what they did according to Kirkou he didn't do anything he had complained he needed medical help. He needed his medicine. He had prescriptions. They didn't want to fill it. He filed a complaint so he could get his prescription, and they came back. He says a couple of weeks later, uh, they threw him in solitary, and he said then even after that, a couple of weeks later, there was an incident in solitary. He said none of us had ever seen this kind of reaction before. A group of corrections officers dressed up as a SWAT team went into the solitary. They went in with tasers, nice, nice sticks, helmets, and it looked bad. He said another prisoner who had been in solitary that, that day told me a couple weeks later that my cellmate was so angry at not being given medical care that he kind of lost it. What they were doing was when you're in solitary, the medical people have to come around every day and make sure everybody's okay. When they would get to his cell, they would just skip him, just walk right past because he had complained. So what they're doing is agitating him. He's already got a condition. He already doesn't have his medication. They've already put him in solitary, which medical doctors have proven in, in science. Research has proven that solitary confinement is a form of torture in itself, and people with mental issues have no business being subjected to solitary confinement. It only exacerbates the situation. So what they do is put the guy in solitary and then walk by a cell deliberately, showing him that they're gonna ignore him because he filed a, a paper, piece of paper that said, I need you to give me the meds. So as they keep doing this day by day, it's it's you know, it's pissing him off. He's getting more upset and he's starting to get get crazy. And what he did was he uh took off his shoe and he hit the sprinkler system he hit the sprinkler that's in the ceiling of the cell and made the system activate and start filling up the solitary units with water. So then they come back with the SWAT team, they start tasing them, take them down, start beating them, strip them naked, and put them outside in the snow. Remember, this is the middle of winter where he was trying to escape the wintertime. So think about that. we got to take our first break. But just think about this man getting beaten, thrown out in the snow for asking for medication. You're listening to the Abolitionist Daily this is Johanna and Alaya, and this is the Black Talk, ne- Black Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back.
1: You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com.
2: Are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily We're talking about an interview with a man named John Kirakow Who was a former CIA intelligence officer And I believe he, he uh, ran a bureau for some time um, And he was a whistleblower during the uh, Bush Or he told on the Bush uh, era torture that was going on he he snitched he told the story about you know what they were doing what we were doing in our our prisons so he was given 14 months in a prison himself since he wanted to tell and they went ahead and locked him up for that so we're talking about an interview that he gave to reader supported news recently and we're just taking some of the points from the interview. He was talking about before the break uh, a a cellmate that he had that was a homeless man with some mental illness um, and had a seizure, some sort of a condition that he had seizures and he had a medication that he needed. He was just trying to get off the street so he violated his parole willingly to go, so he could go back to prison for the winter and when he got there they didn't give him his medication he filed a formal complaint which is a piece of paper that just says that Whoever worked in the medical department or the guard or whoever denied him any kind of help and sent him back to his cell. So he, his first step he could take is just file a paper complaint to say, look, you didn't give me what I need. I need what I need. And it's only supposed to be a written response back from the prison employee. And then you solve the problem, but the prison employee gets all upset and you know, how dare you? And then it escalates and it goes to the Bureau of Prisons as a, as a formal complaint and nothing's getting solved. He's still not getting his medication and they throw him in solitary. So he's in solitary confinement and they make a point of showing him that they're not going to take care of him, they're not going to do, you know not going to give him his medication, whatever. He sets off the sprinkler system and then they go in and beat the crap out of him strip him naked and throw him out in the snow. They've got an area for recreation when you're in solitary. You may have seen something like this on like a locked up uh, program or some other type of prison related program. It's just a like a twelve by twelve cage, literally like a cage chain link, uh, so the sunlight can get through and a person can say that you know they've been allowed to go outside for you know twenty five minutes or an hour or whatever when they're on twenty three hour lockdown. But for this gentleman, they wanted to use it as a form of torture. They put him out in the snow, which he had violated himself to get back in prison, so he wouldn't be living in the snow when he was homeless. They threw him out in the snow in zero degree temperatures, two feet of snow, snow up to his knees. And left him out there for he said at least ten hours. He said he I mean it reminds me so much of the Darren Rainey situation. Just throw someone this this extreme cold they threw Darren Rainey in extreme heat of a hot shower turned up reportedly up over one hundred and eighty degrees for two hours, which boiled the meat off of his bones literally, like literally boiled his meat, parboiled him. Until his flesh started to fall off of his bones, his skin slid off his body and his meat fell off cooked. This is a similar thing. This man had a diet of exposure out here in the, in the snow, butt naked. What kind of story would they have told to try to cover that? Would they have even had to? Because the guards that did that to Darren Rainey haven't been brought to any kind of criminal implications. They've Reportedly, they were, they were uh, allowed to resign from the job, and then I'm sure went somewhere else. Hell, Florida's got 100,000 prisoners. Dozens and dozens of prisons, and several of those are private prisons, so I mean... You, and just where do you want to go work the big landmark case that just came down here last week was from Attica where those three men beat his brother to within an inch of his life literally there's a big uproar because they're the first to ever be charged in the history of the state of New York to ever face criminal charges that are not connected to some sort of sexual related abuse for beatings and torture the first time in the history of the state of New York's penitentiary system, these guys were finally faced some sort of charges, and they pled out. Took a plea, to facing felony charges, facing from eight to twenty-five years each of them, and they took a plea the day of a uh, jury selection. Well, we don't want to go to prison. We'll just <laughs> we'll take a deal. What do you got? What what can you give us? Since we're facing felony charges, and you're here to prosecute us. Shades of Darren Wilson and the prosecution in Ferguson Are you really here to prosecute these people Or are you here to orchestrate an effective defense before I mean their defense attorneys apparently just get paid for doing nothing nowadays If you take on cases of police Corrections officers Apparently you just get paid and don't even have to To do your job because the prosecutors nowadays are willing to defend So in this man's case, he's standing out in the snow for hours and hours and hours. Begging to be let back in. He finally passed out and collapsed. After he passed out and collapsed, they picked him up, threw him back in his cell. And Kirikow correctly identifies this as torture. So the guy asks him, so I mean, what else you got? What else have you seen in prisons? He says "The solitary, uh, the solitary environment overall is torture. Which it is That has been determined Says the Supreme Court Actually he's talking about the California situation Says the Supreme uh, Supreme Court actually ordered California To release prisoners because the prisons are 40% overcrowded But overall The federal system is 39% overcrowded And there's no similar order from the Supreme Court for, For the feds And we hear Eric Holder Tell us that for the first time in 32 years, federal numbers are down. See, that's what you, this is why you're here. This is why you're listening. So you can become skilled in the art of the truth. And you could begin to see through the BS. And you can have a cogent argument when this thing comes up and people just throw out all kind of logical fallacies and all kind of just crazy numbers and just say whatever and it's not that big a deal you could tell so you could be able to uh, effectively argue from this kind of a standpoint if Eric Holder is grandstanding somewhere saying how we've lowered the federal prison ranks and for the first time in 32 years we've seen a decrease we already told you number one that that's a shell game that's the what they used to call it the three card molly or whatever where you had to you know you slip them around and where's the where is it at? Where is it at? Or the cup game or whatever. You know, you slide it around with the ball under the cup. Where is it at? Where is it at? Nah, nope, it's not right there. They move these people around. That's human trafficking. And the states do it too. California, with this overpopulation problem, we've already discussed, has moved people to Mississippi, for one. The Mississippi inmates were caught up in the Christopher F. situation. This thing is such a big spiderweb. California prisoners caught up in the MTCs, private prisons in Mississippi. MTC right now, Management and Training Corporation. Right now, today is March 9th. Today is the day for the bid. Down there in Mississippi, they got a county down there that's, that's open to taking bids today. So right now, CCA, Geo Group, and MTC are submitting their bids for that private prison business. I believe it was 1,700 bids that they're vying for so this is an ongoing thing this is a day-to-day operation of generating billions of dollars to unlock the possibility and like he says the state of california was ordered by the supreme court to release these people but the federal system this is your new talking point the federal system itself if california was 40% overcrowded and forced by the supreme court of course they've been fighting it for the last five years And of course, uh, Kamala Harris, racist proxy, figurehead. See, they sure do find a lot of black people to get involved in this slavery thing. They sure do find a lot of blacks to take their little part in this game. Happy to get their extra rations. Happy to get those extra little tokens. And Kamala Harris is no different. And we talked about on the new abolitionist radio program how you can expect her to show up in the next senatorial campaign ready to run on her clean record and on her record of prosecutions how she was tough on crime in California and how she worked to cut the prison populations in California when the federal uh, when the Supreme Court told them that you know you hear all this rhetoric but we told you the real story her office sued to keep prisoners enslaved working the front lines of forest fires California's notoriously dangerous wildfires people that could never get hired for the California Fire Department people that could never get those jobs on the outside they go into prison and Kamala Harris is suing so they could be forced to go earn 93 cents an hour or a dollar a day or whatever they're getting to go fight forest fires so this is what these people are about and this is what he's talking about this is overcrowding on a federal level Who's going to tell the federal penitentiary system, look, you're 40% overcrowded. you got to let some of these people go. What they're doing is paying experts, so-called, to come out and tell you that really, if you did stop the drug war, and if you did let out all, all the drug offenders, you wouldn't even make a dent in the numbers because everybody that's in there is in there for violence. No, that's not true. We found evidence that there's roughly 17 a high of possibly 20% of people that are actually in there for actual physical violence against another individual, murder, rape, pedophilia, some kind of something, armed robbery, assaults, these type of charges. All of these people that are locked up in between that gray area of straight out, you just had some drugs on you and we caught you straight out. You had some paraphernalia straight up. You were, selling drugs or you bought some drugs or well all these non-violent it, it, you can't even lie and say the person did anything violent all those people are on one side and then you have in the middle a big block of people that are caught up in the legislation that was written to trap even more slaves that makes it a violent felony if there's a gun within 50 feet of the arrest if there's a, a pocket knife found on the person if the person you know had a six-inch pipe wrench on their belt. I mean, it's so many random and obscure things have been written in the law to turn these misdemeanor, nonviolent possession charges into felonies and to give these prosecutors records where they have all these felonies they've prosecuted and give all these detectives and get all these beat cops promotions to detective because all these big busts and I mean it's everybody scratching their own each other's back and and lifting their own self up and promoting their own selves through slavery so again he's talking about the federal system is overcrowded it's overcrowded and you can't see the numbers really drop if you just strictly take people out that were just strictly caught with some drugs You've got to also affect those people that you know. And that's the thing when they catch all these people, when you start getting into hundreds of thousands of people that you've just thrown in there, it's just like the innocence projects. It's just like the exoneration efforts. It's just like Ken Thompson up there in Brooklyn. You got to fight and dig and go through and now you got to file all these court files, papers, and fight with these prosecutors to get these people's cases heard and get the information out and find out. And everybody's still making money and it's still not justice and on the federal level like you said 40% or 39% overcrowded and the Supreme Court isn't telling them to do anything about it and as he points out this leads to disease clearly this is going to lead to more violence when you take every room imaginable in a structure where you've got cells built for prisoners and these are two person cells and then you convert them into four person cells and in some cases, six person cells or eight person cells. And then you take the TV room, the day room, you take the lunch room, you take the, the I don't know, whatever, the recreation area, whatever, I mean, uh, classrooms, whatever they had, hallways, and you start rolling in bunks three high so you can stash more bodies in there. This in itself is a form of torture. You can't put a person in a room with eight men in a 12 by (laughs) nine walled, you know, space with no air and no natural light and one toilet. They don't allow any kind of, you know, partitions to be put up inside of there because they want to see everything you're doing at any given time. So there's no partitions. So you're just in here with eight dudes in a freaking box for however many years. Really? You think that's going to rehabilitate somebody? You think it's going to do any good? This is why mass incarceration doesn't do have any effect on lowering crime. If anything, it exacerbates criminality. But it's the best we can do because it's making a lot of people a lot of money and it's giving a lot of people a lot of jobs. So they asked them, what do you think uh comparing prison accountability to uh, to that of the CIA so I think it's very similar as a matter of fact because we rely on the oversight committees in Congress to keep federal agencies and departments in line in fact most of the members of the intelligence committees in the House and Senate are really nothing more than cheerleaders for the CIA we see the same thing with the Judiciary Committee in the House and Senate there's no oversight of the Bureau of Prisons it says, I'll give you an example of lack of oversight. When I was in prison, the Supreme Court ruled on a case. It was an overcrowding case related to the state of California. California's 40% uh, overcrowded. The Supreme Court ordered them to begin releasing prisoners to deal with overcrowding 40%. Federal, uh, federal system's 39% overcrowded. People are sleeping on bunks in hallways and game rooms and TV rooms, anywhere they can stuff somebody. I was in a four-man cell that we had six people in. The unit above me had four-man cells that had eight people in them. As a result, you're constantly passing around disease, sickness. It's also bad for violence. When you're living on top of each other like that, you tend to get a short temper, and it leads to fights and violence. Not just prisoner on prisoner, but also potentially prisoner on staff. Where is Congress in this debate? Why isn't there any oversight related to this overcrowding? It's inexcusable that nobody's doing anything about it. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening to this program. That's why you share this link to the podcast. That's why you post this on your social media. That's why you talk about this. When you go to church, when you discuss this thing with your friends, when you go to the nail shop, when you go to the beauty salon, when you go to the barber shop, when you go to coach at your son's game, you're just talking to the other dads. when people see you discussing this kind of thing when people see you reading information like this when people see that you are seeing something and you care about something and they just want to know hey man what is that and then you start going in that's why you're here this is another little place that you can get some information from and we give you all the links we we find and study and and research to, to make the program possible but this is how you become your own broadcaster of this propaganda we need to get the information out because just like he just said no matter who you vote for no matter how many times you go to vote, that's our way in this country supposedly of fixing things, of changing things. Everybody's going to say we're going to vote. Well, if you're going to vote, you're going to use the things that are in place to help change it. Look at what's happening, just like the man just said. Where is Congress in this debate? I don't hear him saying anything about any of the things we talk about on here. I hear a few state. A few states, uh, legislation start uh, legislators starting to discuss the issues, and it has to be super extreme cases like Florida, 346 inmate deaths in custody last year. Yeah, they're going to talk about it a little bit. But unless the state is in the headlines for extreme corruption, I don't see people discussing this thing. So, like he's saying, there's just no transparency. And these people don't have any attorneys. He's talking about how he was well informed and knew the laws and knew his process and he did everything by the book and they shut him out. And he has the money and had a huge, big name attorney. And even with threatening them, he goes on in a long story about how they treated him when he was trying to get the paperwork from his case and trying to get information and trying to get let people know he was trying to set up a blog and trying to tell people what he was seeing and they were shutting all that down and you don't know, you don't get to tell about what goes on in here, we don't care who you are. And this went on the whole time he was in there, he was trying to get the word out and they shut him down, he was at a point where he said they delayed his emails up to five days, basically making it ineffective. Any information he was getting, he was nearly a week behind. Anything he told anybody was nearly a week later before they heard it. All of his outgoing and ingoing mail, opened and researched and copied and whatever forms that he, were getting from, he was getting from his cases in a lot of a lot of cases redacted. This is a CIA official. This is a real like a real dude. Somebody that was a part of the system. It's like somebody that's respected. He's not even seen as a convict. He was a whistleblower. So I'm 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 highlighting his case so that you can understand. What do you think, like he said, his in his uh cellmate, the homeless man? What do you think the brother we talked about in Louisiana with the $20 bag of weed? What do you think Jerome Murto is gonna face? What do you think Darren Rainey is gonna face? If you're not wealthy, what do you think you're gonna face? This is a wealthy upper middle class white man with a career in the Central Intelligence Agency who once he to get that prison uh, prisoner suit on him and got a case, got a number on his chest he lost all of his privileges and rights and abilities and everything he thought he could do even legally they shut him down so when we're talking about the mass numbers of people into the millions of people caught up in these systems and everybody down from like the Ferguson case recently where the government report says that these people are being victimized to the most extreme degree imaginable. 98% of people arrested for this. 95% of the people stopped over for that. 100% of the people had dogs sicked on them. 92% of the people that had this kind of uh, fine or this kind of charge and this and this and this and and on and on and on. Black, 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 black people. They had something like 27,000 people in the city and had uh, over 34,000 arrested. Arrest warrants now, just because you have twenty five twenty seven thousand people, there's only like fourteen or fifteen thousand people of driving age, like sixteen and over, so really, that number was about sixteen. I'll give them seventeen thousand people for thirty four thousand arrest warrants and even when the federal report comes out and discusses this, the feds comes out and lays this out. Do you see this being? getting the kind of publicity that the the riots got no you don't see it when these people were telling you after michael brown died that what they were doing was not all about michael brown yeah that was a factor yes people were upset about that yes but they were trying to tell you we told you on the new abolitionist radio show back at the time when they put out a uh Uh, Airspace. They they closed off the airspace over the town, and when they put out a media blackout over the town, and they tried to make it look as though it was because the people were so violent and they were tearing up, and they just didn't want that to be on the TV. That was a lie. We found out from people who were on the ground in Ferguson who told us they stopped that. They put that media blackout in place because if the cameras could have focused on the courthouse, because they put the blackout on on a Sunday night and they said when you if you could have had the cameras on at the courthouse on uh, Monday and Tuesday and seen all the people that had to show up for their warrants for traffic warrants, you would have seen a line out of the court and around the block for a mile or two The basically the entire adult population of Ferguson going to court week in, week out, you better show up or we're going to come bust in and come take you to jail for a traffic ticket you couldn't pay and that was generating the revenue there two to three million dollars a year over one quarter, over 25% of the revenue generated for that city off the backs of those people through basically illegal search and seizure and the report said pretty clearly that when they did stop a few whites they were found with contraband more than double the rates but arrested less than half as often So even when you see this I'm saying all this to say Even when you see rampant corruption And racism Civil rights abuses Human rights abuses It wasn't just Michael Brown died We talked about Jimmy Powell Martyred himself basically But he didn't have to die Ferguson police chose to kill him we talked about the young sister college student down there in the protests organizing working got shot police said it was a drive by amazingly she lived shot in the face amazingly she lived on the operating table while when as soon as they pulled the slug out of her forehead she said uniform police officer came in and took that bullet And it's never been seen or heard from again. There's another young brother. I forget his name, too. He was uh, supposedly hitting a drive-by, gang-related drive-by shooting. He died. So there was several people got killed in the aftermath of Michael Brown. So these are the ultimate human rights violations. But it's not fit for your mainstream news to report on such things. You have to hear it here, I guess. You have to hear it from the grassroots, because what are these people saying? Henry Davis, the brother that they, the Ferguson police beat within an inch of his life, the wrong man. Pulled him over. He wasn't even the guy he was looking for. Ran his plate. Saw a black man named Henry Davis. They had a warrant for some other Henry Davis. Wasn't even him. Didn't even check. Didn't even care. Start beating the hell out of him right there. Carried him to the jail. Beat him more. Split his head wide open. He bled got some blood on their uniforms they turn around and sued him stories like that don't come out though until Michael Brown dies Maya Atten-Whites that was her name uh, the, the young sister college graduate down there organizing working for her people trying to build her community shot in the face cops cover it up so this is the kind of thing that's happening to the regular people and we're telling you what happens to the CIA people he got no rights he's in there getting getting treated poorly too his rights are completely stripped and it's just basic quality of life stuff all the way down to picking people out and abusing them plus the prison slave labor and he says when he was in there he tried to avoid the, the racial stereotypes and whatnot and people began to know him as being a human rights advocate because why he was there speaking up for human rights so he was able to kind of skirt but he said they even encouraged that in prison to put people in their racial and ethnic groups and, and make them split up into gangs and into violent opposition with one another and no solidarity because then they keep control it's a lot like what we do out here in the free world so called So, again, this is just something that I really wanted to cover. Just to give you an idea, this is one of the highest levels, I guess, a regular guy, you know, could could achieve. Just, you know, a good job. A CIA uh, uh, bureau chief off in foreign lands, working with foreign governments and putting down terrorism and, you know, just out here in the field doing his job. And he, he did not like the torture that he was seeing in his department involved in he didn't like seeing what his government was doing and he told about it and they put him in prison and he opened his eyes to what's going on in his own country I want you to contrast that it's not just Guantanamo it's not just Abu Ghraib it's not just what we do to people around the world it's what we're doing here in America and it took this man getting in there to see that for himself So hopefully that's something that did shine some light I'll put the link up obviously And you'll be able to follow his story a little bit more You're listening to the Abolitionist Daily This is Johan and Elia And this is the Black Talk Radio Network
1: Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com Helping you filter through the noise Real talk Black
2: Talk This is Elliot Booker, host of Time for an Awakening Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. Speaking in behalf of Black Talk Media Project's twenty fifteen fundraiser. Since two thousand and eight, the Black Talk Media Project, which has created Black Talk Radio Network has engaged in producing original content from a black perspective for the global black community. You can help us continue this mission and help us even more by giving donations to the Black Talk Media Project 2015 fundraiser and asking others to do so also. Let us work together to make 2015 a stronger year for independent black media. Again, this is Elliot Booker of Time for Awakening radio program on the Black Talk Radio. Welcome back This is the Abolitionist Daily This is your host Johan and Elia And as you heard during the break uh, This is the Black Talk Radio Network And I will go to this briefly But just to remind you We are in the middle of the Black Talk Media Project 2015 fundraiser And it's important that you realize uh, This station has been around since 2008 So we've made it all this time off of uh listener support, community support we don't take you know corporate advertising dollars and government grants and things that have strings attached to them and things that have political implications applied and things that'll make us consider what we say whether we're going to tell the whole truth or just give you as much as they want you to know and play along, play the game or whatever. We're not here for that. That's going to get us nowhere. That's headed. We're headed to nowhere right now because our mainstream media is bought and owned and controlled, and we all know this. But what you can do during this fundraiser is visit the blacktalkradionetwork.com website, click on the simple little link that says donate. It's very easy. You can easily pledge a dollar per month. It's You won't even notice a dollar a month missing. That $12 a year out of a 1,000 of the tens of thousands of people that listen to these programs every month that visit the websites, that visit the blogs and get the links and get the information and, and stay informed that we are not getting caught. We have never been caught in any lies or any kind of doing any wrong. This is the truth. We're giving you the facts. We're doing the research. We're trying to keep our communities informed, but we need your support visit the blacktalkmedia.org website or the blacktalkradionetwork.com website pledge a dollar a month, $12 a year pledge $10 a month, you got it I see folks out here looking like they're doing pretty good as far as I knew the economy was hurting but I see people all the time looking wonderful and dressed well and driving new cars and kids wearing the latest everything. So you don't have to cut into those budgets to to support us as we're trying to help you and help all of us build our community. Stay informed, create a voice for ourselves. We don't have to be marginalized in the mainstream media. We can stand tall in our own media and represent our own stories. We can create black autonomy. We can be a voice for the truth We can be the authority In many of these fields Because no one can challenge us on the truth As long as we're telling the truth Which is what we're going to do We can't even be challenged We could be a completely autonomous black authority For truth in reporting But we need your support to do that So visit the Black Talk Radio Network Blacktalkradionetwork.com And uh, blacktalkmedia.org And donate Uh, The number for the program, we've gone through the first hour, and I did not give out the number, 712-775-7035. The access code is 367-526-POUND. You hit star six and then one. You'll be in the caller's queue, and we can get you on the program. So we spent the first uh, hour talking about John Kierakow's interview and just talking about his revelations as a uh, now former – inmate former prisoner on the slave plantation he didn't speak much I haven't heard him speak much as yet in any of these interviews about um, forced labor but we know that that's prevalent in the system overall and uh, now we're going to switch over and look at this situation with women and the skyrocketing numbers of women in our prisons nationally there are now more than 8 times as many women Incarcerated in state and federal prisons and local jails as there were in 1980. My mom was a grown woman. I was born in 74, so my mom was probably, what, close to 30 years old in 1980. She wasn't criminal. None of the women I ever met were criminals. I didn't know any women that ever went to jail until I was an adult. My mother owned businesses, had a lot of clients come through her business and come to our home when she later moved her business to the house we interacted with several church communities and extended family and friends all around the state and people from around the country my dad the same way his professional connections I mean people we know, I didn't know people that were going to I didn't know women that were going to jail and it the numbers reflect that in nineteen eighty State, federal prisons, and local jails—twelve thousand three hundred women around the country. Does it at all shock you that women just suddenly became hyper criminalistic? Just something happened after those Reagan years, the crack years, I guess, maybe the the um, the crack epidemic of the eighties the 90s. Something happened according to the justice system because these people, that's what you need to look at. These people aren't investigating why this is happening. Wouldn't you imagine that that, uh, I mean, okay, let's look at Ebola. You have a couple hundred cases of people dying on the entire planet, but the entire planet is locked down. They are locking down airports and, and closing off people from traveling and bringing in major billions and billions of dollars of research and doctors and sending in troops, and, I mean, it's an all-out effort to stop Ebola, and it's like a handful of people that have died from it. And those not treated. But look at the uproar behind it. But we've got something that outpaces Ebola, outpaces all of the illicit drug-use-related deaths combined, outpaces all major Reasons for people's deaths Combined in this country We've got something that is more than all of that It's mass incarceration And modern day slavery We have millions and millions of people That are caught in a different type of genocide Obviously There's going to be a huge number of these mothers Of these women who are mothers We discussed the school to prison pipeline 70% Of California state penitentiary inmates all the inmates all over that state which is 40% overcrowded 100,000 people 70% of those people were a part of the foster care system and when you continue to snatch the fathers out whether it be through foreign wars or whether it be in the American drug war whether it be through rampant unemployment and the matriculation of the, of the workforce, the mod, uh, middle class job market into the prison system. All of these are factors. And then you reach back in and take the mothers out too. This is the kind of logical conclusions we need Americans to be coming to. Is seeing this type of a cycle. nationally there are now more than eight times as many women incarcerated in state and federal prisons and local jails as there were in 1980 increasing from 12,300 in 1980 to 1,8271 by 2002 but that number has gone up to over over 200,000 now in 2015 between 1986 and 1999 the number of women incarcerated in state facilities for drug-related offenses drug-related offenses increased by 888% Who became, how, where did this come from? See, we got duped into the war on drugs, but we should have been fighting our own war on the prison system. How do you just suddenly get nearly 1,000% of an increase in your women going into state facilities for drug related offenses? When all forms of correctional supervision are in uh, probation, parole, jail, state, federal prison are considered, more than one million women are now behind bars or under control of the criminal justice system. Women of color use drugs at a rate equal to or, or lower than white women, yet are far more likely to be affected by current drug laws and policies. In 1997, 44% of Hispanic women and 39% of African American women incarcerated in state prison were convicted of drug offenses, compared to just 23% of white women. And 26% and 24% of Hispanic and African American men, respectively. Now this is of course the result of targeted law enforcement practices. As we discussed, the prosecutor's decisions that they're making, stacking people's charges up, mandatory sentencing policies, selective testing of pregnant women of color for drug use, also just heightened surveillance overall of poor people, particularly poor mothers of color. And they call it policing child abuse Or finding neglect And it just pushes these numbers up These are expendable people These are the throwaway people As the CIA Former CIA Bureau chief said When have you heard Congress speaking on this? Hell in Texas, this state is considered to be one of the leaders. I've heard several of these conferences speaking on Texas. And how it's a leader in the field of reform. And Texas is getting it right. That's the, the seat of the uh, the conservative program right on crime. And shout out to those people. I mean, they're they're doing what they can. There's it's not um not their fault that we don't have any better options than what they're doing. But Texas has like forty private prisons, in addition to their state facilities, in addition to the federal facilities. I put a link up on the uh, Abolitionist Daily page. You can look at it for yourself. the the uh, the the map that they that they have of the state of Texas it's it's really disturbing. Just little dots all over the place. These are the disposable people. There was a report um, with Diane Sawyer from 2020, and I'll just give you some of what was found in that. It says uh, Diane Sawyer goes into prison overnight and speaks with several women about their experience in prison as well as why they're there. Most of these women are mothers. One in 25 is pregnant when she goes in. Women are the fastest group growing, uh, fastest growing group of prisoners in the U.S. compared to men. Sixty three percent are jailed for nonviolent crimes. See those numbers they want to Trump and want to throw at you about the men, they can't even argue that with the women. Sixty three percent are jailed for nonviolent crimes. Eleven percent are in for murder. So there's your drug war argument right there. If we if we talk about, you know, in the drug war. Well, that's sixty three percent. <laughs> then it drops do you want mothers in the homes with their children or no nah we don't need that do you want women in the society free able to raise the children I mean it's a serious question because evidently when 63% of them are being jailed for nonviolent crimes we just told you there's over a million women in the system in some way shape or form right now You could let out 600,000 women back into society to be productive individuals. Or you could continue to funnel them into the prison system and turn them into slaves. And they're left behind children. That we showed you the high percentages of people that are in the foster care system become slaves also. Are you beginning to see the connections to all of this? That's what's really important. Is that you just... Begin to see the connections. Like I say all the time, there's dots on the it's a dot matrix. It's it's like the movie The Matrix. It's a bunch of little dots there. And if you could just get someone to help you just connect those dots, you begin to see the picture. And when you see the picture, you won't be arguing against the same things that you've been arguing against that were never even really fixing the problem to begin with. The problem is at its base. We have a financial incentive for incarcerating and enslaving people in this country there's no two ways about that there's probably people right now who have who have evaluated mathematical tables and and equations and algorithms that that can spit out numbers that will tell the powers it be How many free people they need How many taxpayers they need And how much of that money they can take And how many people need to be in prison So they can generate this type of a profit And it just spits it out on a little receipt Like a Chinese food takeout fortune cookie message Or whatever This is what you need to Generate this many billions of dollars This this many number of people this many number of people paying taxes, and then on the other side, this many number of people that you collect that tax money specifically earmarked for incarceration and all of the all of the uh, semblance of, of extras all around the incarceration situation itself. The slavery, yes, one thing, but all of those vendors, all of those contractors, healthcare and food vendors and on and on and on these are numbers these are percentages of people your mom, your sister your niece your wife so they're people but to them they're numbers they're dollar signs 63% of these women are jailed for nonviolent crimes most of them related to drugs uh, convictions and you will be surprised perhaps to find out that the huge number of these drug convictions that have has grown is related to prescription drugs so it's not even about the Sinaloa cartel it's not even about stopping the heroin and the meth from the, hitting the streets or whatever these are women addicted to trading in prescription pills. Female prison populations 49% white, 22% black, 17% Hispanic. White women are the fastest growing prison population, some experts say, due to tougher drug laws on prescription pills and methamphetamines. However, it's critical to note that African American women have been the fastest growing prison population for the last two to three decades due to sentencing for street drugs, laws against women being drug mules, The obvious sentencing disparity between powder and crack cocaine, the 100 to 1, that I'm going to call out black people in particular for till the day I have no breath left in my body. Shame on you. Shame on you. And shame on you right now if you're sitting up here congratulating North Carolina, congratulating New Jersey in other states, the cities where the sagging laws are being enforced shame on you we're in the middle of this genocidal crisis of mass incarceration and re-enslavement of Africans in this domestic colony called America and you didn't learn from the 100 to 1 crack rates no science anywhere ever even attempted to approach to tell anybody that crack was worse than cocaine But you freely gave away your sons and your daughters, your grandchildren, your entire future legacy. You clearly have no hope for anything that you have to leave for the future because you just pissed it all away going along with the propaganda at that time. Watching cops, you saw an episode of cops where they chased some black dude down the alley somewhere and tackled him and he had two crack rocks in his hand oh this crack is destroying our country you watch the movies propaganda come out and the little gang warfare and the gang culture and the, the drug culture and they just really pump that up you saw all these black filmmakers get their comeuppance and become somebody in Hollywood for showing these crack related stories you heard the music talking about it. you listened to all the propaganda that told you that it's okay if we just go in here and just run a war against you and destroy your communities. And now we've got millions of people in prison behind the crack laws, 100 to 1. And then we get our black president and our black attorney general and they take it to 18 to 1. But then they also go to federal court and fight to prevent the release of the people that would benefit from such a thing. Imagine that. Money. I don't know what you want to do about it I, I mean other than abolish that's why I'm an abolitionist so I don't pay attention to the reform talk other than to try to co-op new allies jump on board with their message and then scream our message right over the top of what they're saying because you cannot reform this you can't fix this with making some lightweight changes here and there and then we're going to affect 800 people you have millions soon to be in the tens of millions. If we've got 2.3 in and 7 to 8 on the out, on the paroles and probation systems, house arrest systems, supervised care and whatever, halfway houses, reentry programs, we're at about 10 million people in this country. Real numbers. And we've had reports that have estimated around 20 million, if not more than that, that go in and out of the system, just getting arrested and stopped and took to jail for the night or the weekend or getting new fines and fees and Ferguson type situations where people are just basically on their way to debtor's prison because if you can't pay those things then judges have the discretion in many states to just go ahead and throw you in because you couldn't pay and then they'll collect the money that they get for keeping you incarcerated and then they'll get some money off of that and then put you back out and if you still can't pay you may still go back in this, there's just so many. This is a prickly cactus of just you can't hug this thing, you can't wrap your hands around. You're gonna get stuck any way you try to wrap your hands around this. And this is our women that we're talking about now. This is our women. I'm ashamed that this is our women. Speaking of women, we may have a woman on the line who wants to speak with us. Um, 414 area code, uh, were you calling in to uh, be a part of the Abolitionist Daily? Uh, Hey, Brother Johanna, this is uh, Rob calling
1: from uh, Milwaukee.
2: Brother Rob, I see you all got some issues going on up there in Wisconsin. And Madison, with the young brother being assassinated by the police up there, you still there? I think his call dropped. Yeah, uh, Brother Robert calls in and and listens to the program frequently, so we appreciate that. Um, We had spoken with him from Milwaukee um, a couple of weeks ago and telling us about some of his personal history up there and what's going on. And just here uh, over the weekend, we had a 19-year-old young uh, black brother, unarmed, gunned down by the police in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, we gave out the zip code last week talking about Wisconsin and being the worst zip code in america for a person of color so i mean they it, it got some issues up there i don't know but we're talking about our women um and how we're we're destroying i mean what are we going to build with african-american women's incarceration rates for all offenses many of which are drug-related offenses has increased by 800 percent since 1986 compared to an increase of 400 percent for women of all races Whether men or women are ensnared in the criminal justice system at higher rates, or whether white women or black women are populating U.S. prison cells at a faster rate, what is clear is that the children living in the U.S., white, African-American, Latino, are experiencing parental incarceration at a higher rate than any other children in the world. What do you have to be so proud of? See, when we really look at the numbers... That's why I like reports, you know, uh, grassroots organizations and ACLU and, uh, SPLC and these different, you know, grass, uh, was it? Grassroots legislation. I mean, all these different Malcolm X grassroots. I mean, these different organizations that do these in-depth studies of the numbers and can give you these numbers so you begin to understand what you're really up again, against. That's why I like that because I get kind of tired of seeing people walking around. The weather just broke here over the last weekend where I live. You know, we've been having the snow all winter and, the you know, the glums and the blums and everybody's just kind of cabin fever ready to get out. And we had the weather break out into 65, 70 degree weather, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And you go outside, and you go out in the, in the city or whatever, and, I mean, the traffic's congested. People, Everybody's going to Walmart, going to Foot Locker, going to the gym, going to the liquor store. You know, there's just people everywhere, and everybody is just fat and happy, basically. I'll just say it outright. You look around, and everybody's just been eating good all winter and sitting back enjoying. Everybody's coming out now a little, little puffy and got on their new shoes and jogging suits and, you know, whatever. And everybody's just out and happy, and it's just wonderful weather and so happy, so happy. And then you consider numbers like what I just told you, when you consider that American children face higher rates of incarceration of their parents than any other children on the planet, how do you feel about your sunshiny day, and what do you think about your plans for the spring? and I mean, if it's not your kids, it's kids that are that are close to your kids. It's some kids in class. My son had one, uh, was it two years ago, in, in his class. He had a, a, a boy in his class that was a bit of a problem. He was getting into some bully issues and, and causing some issues in class for other kids, and he and my son kind of connected because his mother and I are, are no longer together, so he's kind of a two-home kid or whatever. So, you know, he he, he kind of connected with this kid a little bit, and he started telling me, you know, what his issues were. Both of his parents incarcerated. Both of his parents sending out of jails and dealing with the system and whatnot. He's staying with his grandparents. we live in a nice suburban, I guess, otherwise white neighborhood or whatever. Perfectly good schools, triple A schools, five star schools, whatever. One of the wealthiest counties in America. For decades been on the list. I mean, so this you wouldn't expect in this little enclave. But he's just one of several children in that kind of situation little blonde hair, blue eyed, little white boy but everybody else can look away from him and not really care his problems are just as bad as all these other little children that I guess people don't care about the Latino children and the black children and And this is what we're doing to the mothers women's incarceration for drug offenses fails not only to address the issues that likely contributed to their involvement with drugs it just makes them worse sexual and physical violence against women at the hands of correctional officers is widespread we told you 60% 60% of the rapes and sexual abuses are occurring at the hands of the correctional officers and those are the ones that are being reported you've got to know there's a great number of them that aren't even making it to the light of day this abuse that women experience behind prison walls has devastating consequences particularly for those who are survivors of the violence they suffer from depression and they end up dealing with addiction Incarcerated women's physical and mental health is routinely put at risk by ill-conceived security policies, as well as delays in providing emergency and routine health care. Incarcerated mothers face emotional trauma due to separation from their children, frequently suffer from depression, loneliness, despair. Infliction of such trauma on women with substance abuse problems is particularly problematic because these conditions often trigger their urge to use drugs. In most cases, when a woman is in prison, her child is displaced. Children are three times more likely to live with the other parent when their father rather than mother is incarcerated. 10% of children with mothers incarcerated in state prison are in foster homes or agencies, and 79% live with a grandparent or relative. So that 10% who went to the foster home or agencies, we know in California, of that 10%, we already know 70% of them are going to state prison. Women's incarceration can result in emotional and financial hardship for their families. Family members often take custodial responsibility for the children because they're the only alternative they have. The the, the safety net is our family is all we got. And in a lot of cases, when you have more than just that one person who's in a situation, the family can't even do anything. An estimated 28 million women, approximately 26% of women 18 years or older living in the U.S., provide support and support care to chronically ill, disabled, or aged family members and friends. Women are the caregivers. Maybe you don't care about the men, but hopefully you care about the women. And we know women traditionally are the ones that are are out here on the front lines, so maybe you care about your sisters. Where's the feminist movement? Give me a call and, and tell me if you're involved in this type of thing. If you're one of these feminists, if you're out here on the front lines fighting in the trenches or whatever, 712-775-7035. You are listening to the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Eliya. we'll be right back.
1: Are you searching for the best in online black radio? then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, Black Talk. We do whatever we do to survive. Drop it!
2: And we are back This is the Abolitionist Daily This is Johan and Elia On the Black Talk Radio Network We'll give out the number again Because I know that there's somebody out there That has a comment about this Because I just called out the feminist movement That I've seen make themselves apparent How they are displeased With all of the support Especially in the black community And in the grassroots organization uh community for all this support for black men when they get killed by police and all this talk about what black men need but who remembers the black woman who remembers the, the, the black LGBTQ community I mean all these little side splintered off individualist concerns but as a whole overall all of black women are under the gun so are there some feminists that can tell me how we can popularize your efforts in the abolitionist movement I'm not saying you're not doing it I would never be so crass as to suggest that the feminist movement is turning a blind eye to 888% incarceration explosion in the black woman numbers in the black female community I would never suggest such a thing I mean I know you want to make sure you get equal rights for getting gay marriage see at Ferguson what we saw was black women being highlighted that were the that got married at the at the courthouse or whatever I remember that picture two young black sisters that got, got married at the courthouse but we didn't hear anybody talking about criminality being thrown at our sisters so Uh, I believe uh, Black Talk Media Project founder and CEO, Brother Scotty Reed, had uh, something he wanted to add to the program. Scotty, are you with us? Oh, yes. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Well, I I
1: just wanted to piggyback on what you said about, you know, these uh, attempts to distract the masses and also to divide the black community. I think it's to divide the black community. I also, I mean, the movement is called Black Lives Matter. Not black men matter, black lives mm-hmm. matter, okay? Not black LGBT lives matter, black lives matter. Not black women matter, black lives matter. Not black children matter, black lives matter. So, I, 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 you know, these people who want to try to divide our community, uh, we have to thwart those, those efforts because all it is is a division uh, tactic. And you know, women have been primarily. I don't want to say that. They, of course, they're not the only ones engaged in the movement, but they have been leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement. So I, I view yeah. any kind of criticism about it being all about just black men. Yeah, black men are the number one targets, but as you just laid laid it out, you know, uh, black women are are an increasing. Uh, target uh, for the prison plantation: the black men, black women, black children, non-white people are under assault uh, by this racist system. That's all.
2: Right on. I mean, this is we've discussed it on the New Abolitionist program all through the Ferguson uprising. Uh, what we're talking about right now. I mean, we saw the the beginning of the splintering off we saw the highlighting of the individualist campaigns see if your movement can't get life until another larger movement life and your logic and your plan is to is to jump on board with that movement as though you are an ally but really what you want to do is take away and splinter off and take away the power of, then that's gonna be a problem. It's gonna be an issue. Like I said, I ride with the prison reform movement. I'm gonna be talking about abolitionism, but I'm not gonna disparage what they're doing. To that point, I'm gonna shut them down. Oh no, there's you can't be talking. I'm not gonna join with the with the with the uh, reform movement because look what they're doing. They're talking about reforming, and I believe. And and until you do what I want and you look for what I want, then I don't want nothing to do with you. That's what these feminists are doing. And I'm not... Man, I love women. I got four sisters. Love all the women. I don't have a problem. No, don't even go there with me. But you need to make common sense decisions to advance the problems all facing. And when I tell you you got damn near a thousand percent increase in black women in particular, and 800% of all women... In the last 25 years Becoming more and more incarcerated And these things are a result of Drug abuse uh, Self-medicating through depression Situations they face And you're already catching hell in the streets Abuse victims Rape victims Unemployment All the problems That people are facing in the streets Get caught up somehow In this system And can't get out of the system And then you turn your back. Like I said, does somebody have a a comment for me from the feminist front? This is not an attack. I'm not against you or whatever. If you're doing something, then tell me what you're doing so we can publicize that. Because right now, these sisters need you. They need you. Hear from you. All these PhDs and skiwees and... Deltas and all I mean I see all of this going on out here. I see these sisters clean. Got a good job, got your degrees, you you integrated into the system, and then you do your charity works on the side and you go out and you you know, put your flag up and talk about that we gotta remember the women and what the women well who would look who are you forgetting. What women are you advocating for? That you could just forget these. Where's your ministry for these women? Do you need help publicizing this information? I don't want to suggest that you don't, that you're not doing this or that it's not there. I'm just telling you, I don't see you. And we're connected with many state organizations, national and international organizations, and stay in contact with these people on a regular basis, every day, emails, sometimes phone calls, Facebook messages, whatever. And in all of this time, the last few years that I've been involved with this, I'm not seeing any prevalent feminist faces, any 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 front from them. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying I'm not seeing it. So if you can tell me or you know somebody can tell me 712-775-7035. Access code is three six seven pounds Hit star six and one. You can email me at newabolitionistradio at gmail.com I don't know, contact me somehow. So we can discuss this because these women need help desperately. I believe we have a call on the line area code 973. Welcome to Abolitionist Daily.
0: Thank you so much, Johanna. You know, I try to listen to you every day. I don't think it's the women that They don't care. We just don't know. Your statistics are so alarming. You know, a lot of them really don't know. We're and we're in the process of learning. There is an organization called the Women of Color in in New Jersey, and they do a lot of work with um, you know the women there. I know, for a short back, they send me a lot of information on mass incarceration, and they do talk about the women. But a lot of these women also feel that. you know i i I did not know that it was basically you know the prison population consisting of all these nonviolent drug crimes. The way in which television portrays it is that it, these are criminals and they are you know they're they're murderers they don't really talk about the number that you speak of. so when you say that, this priest has some empathy because i'm speaking of my oh, self, and many others who really don't know and and, and it it's it's very um. You know, when I think about it, it's, I, I say to myself, why didn't I go and try to find out? Maybe because we're so busy in our daily lives. And again, we look for our media outlets, our, just our mass media to tell us this, but we're not going to get it from there. So I really thank you for spitting out these statistics to, to you know, us and just keep on doing what you're doing and then it will, you know, it will sink, sink in. Thank you.
2: Absolutely. I appreciate you listening and appreciate the call. And by all means, like I'm, you know, trying to say, I don't want this to sound like I'm saying they're not doing it or that I want to attack them. I just want them to connect with us so we can help them popularize what they're doing. Because, like you said, these numbers are alarming. And these, I mean, the women to me are the most precious resource. You can't have the children without the women. And as the men, as we fight the wars, and as we go forward in building the communities, even when the women plant it and the women rule it or whatever, we still have to do the, the actual work of putting brick on top of brick to build it. So our backs are going to be turned at some point from the nurturing and the, and, the, and the raising of the babies. And when our women are being stolen away from us behind our back like this, this to me is like one of the most alarming national, national threats we have. This is a national security threat. It's a natural disaster. It's another wing of the genocide that we're facing. I mean, this is a serious issue. And and the thing being, like you said, like the caller said, that there's no popularized information on this. When you don't see it in the mainstream media, then this is how you know that they're getting away with it. Like people don't even know what's happening. They they don't even know this is going on and they're just dirty dogs just getting away with it. So again, I'll put these links up on the page. Um, anyone that's did that wants more information on this or, or, you know, has information they can share with me new abolitionists radio at gmail.com is the email. i check it pretty much every day, a few times a day. Um, but we're like, again, we're all over social media, the Twitter page, new abolitionist radio, Uh, Is on Twitter Uh, We've got our YouTube account up uh, New Abolitionist Radio Obviously the Facebook Accounts, uh, New Abolitionist Radio The page, the Abolitionist Daily page The Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery is a group where Almost 1,500 members An action group Not just an information sharing but a call to action Group, we can put out calls to action For various individuals who are incarcerated And get that information out About who needs help with their health care who's got parole coming up, who needs support in whatever areas, and we can start bombarding the system with at least 1,500 people and whoever they can reach out to as well and show there is public support because it's going to have to be us. There's nobody coming. Whoever does show up, they ain't coming with an answer. They just come and it may look good on them, but they're going to end up making it worse. We have to fix it. We just have to There's just no way around it So I'll put all that information out through all of our networks And um, you can follow up with the women In prison situation This last story I'm going to try to get to here uh, Just talking about But really it's kind of a a combination of like Just the geo group and and their influence And and what they spend or what have you Um, Again this is something that I, I, I harp on On this program because This is the reality of our legislation and how our government is moving forward. This is like where the CIA, uh, Kierkal, what he had to say about where is our congressional oversight. This is why there's no congressional oversight. What I'm about to tell you right now, what I've told you before, when you have companies like the GEO Group and CCA spending over $45 million on the books... We have no clue what, what corruption hasn't been found yet. I mean, Mississippi, we just found out down there, Cecil McCrory and Mike and uh, Mike Epps. <laughs> That's my bad. Christopher Epps down there bankrolling millions of dollars on contracts until they got caught for years. We have no clue how many millions and millions of dollars these people are getting away with, throwing around at their interest in changing our laws and affecting us. But This is from Florida Today. It says, uh, When government agents apprehend, convict, and incarcerate human beings for committing offenses, it is the responsibility of the government to care for the well-being of those offenders no matter who they are. In the interest of appearing cost-effective, Florida politicians have allowed the private prison business to assume control of 10% of our population, which is roughly 10,000 inmates. At first look, that may seem like a good idea, but it's not. Privatization translates to profit motives and legalized corruption within government circles. Such elements cloud the facts about private prisons, which should send red flags to citizens about injecting profits for inmates into the government arena. New news. Anything with a profit motive attached to it in America on this planet, period, it's going to be vigorously pursued. People have greed for for gain. You cannot expect anyone to police themselves when they have a, a dollar sign attached to humans and they can generate money off of that. Last July, leading up uh, to a November election, Mother Jones reported that Governor Rick Scott had uh, headlined a $10,000 per per plate VIP fundraiser at the home of CEO George Zoli, head of the GEO Group. Others attended the general reception for $3,000 a person and all proceeds of which were aimed at the gubernatorial campaign. Political support is is a cleansing term for describing UNAP the person cleared, so they call it political support, but it's really just purchasing influence in October 2014. Florida shifted from one company to another by awarding geo contracts to manage 3,854 prison beds. That was worth $57 million. That shouldn't even be a, something that we could ever even discuss. It really shouldn't. That shouldn't be anything in my reality living we went through slavery already we already had a time we could still show you the old billboards or whatever, the poster boards or whatever they put out and show you negro male worth $400 negro female for sale worth $650 three negro babies we've already been through this people Have you had enough of this, America? I mean, when does it get to be enough of what we do to just crap all over human life? Just don't even, what it means, nothing. It ain't bothering me. See, there was hundreds and hundreds of thousands. I've heard reports from three hundred to 500,000 free black people in America during slavery. The Solomon Northrop's. Knowing that there's a million of your brothers and sisters and just, well, I see those billboards, but it don't apply to me. My name is Freeman. I got a good job. I got a good connection. I'm in with these people. I make money off of this. I'm connected to that. And they're telling you right now, in 2015. Then in October 2014, Florida shifted from one company to another. by They had one private prison company and went to GEO for 3,854 beds worth $57 million. You're putting dollar signs on human beings. And it's just treating it like it's a matter of fact that they're criminals. Oh, well, of course, of course, we'll only bring in criminals. We're not going to tell you about how we influence legislation, how we change laws, how we get more and more laws put in place. How we get more and more fines put in place. Since 2010, 48 states have increased criminal and civil court fees. This is a pipeline to the prison system. It was in 1983 that a Supreme Court ruling supposedly protected defendants from going to jail because they're too poor, uh, too poor to pay fines, but now state to state, they, they're having a hard time interpreting that. They're going to go ahead and put you in first and then make you fight for your way to get out. You represent those dollars that they're talking about, state to state. Even if you get the electric monitors. We told you about uh my, what's her name, Marissa? Is it Marissa Alexander? The sister that was involved in the domestic abuse, abuse case, supposedly, down there in Florida, and they fired a shot and ended up going to, going to jail, and she was facing 60 years and ended up getting you know, the original three they were going to give her, and she ended up doing that anyway. But she's on house arrest now. And we talked about people that are involved in that system, on the house arrest system, and you've got to pay like $200 a week for that equipment, plus your other fees and court costs and whatnot. This is a booming, booming business. People in Ferguson filed a, filed a court case behind this. Because they're too poor to pay all these tickets and fines and they keep getting put in jail behind this stuff. This is an active court case going on right now. And we see how it translates on the other side. See, on the front side is the court case, and people saying, look, we can't afford it, and you can't keep sending us to jail, and we lose our jobs and lose our place to live and become the homeless and become the criminally inclined if we want to eat. When I had a good job and I had to commute from Ferguson to the nearby, to say, even St. Louis downtown, that's a 25-minute drive, let's say, every morning. Well, when you're suspended license, and then you got three four court dates and within a six month time period you're just gonna keep taking days off from work yeah right you're just gonna keep because the court the lines are all out the front door so you could be there literally all day and maybe not even hear your case heard this is the reality and then on the flip side you represent 57 million dollars to a company like geo group just for one contract 2012 Associated Press report found that Geo Group and two other large private prison companies has spent about $45 million in campaign donations over 10 years. This is the other side of those people's problems. Of yours and my problems. I really hope you see the pictures that are being painted because this is what's, this is what's happening. This is what's crippling us and killing us. These people have a sphere of influence. Listen to this. The top recipients. This is just from the GEO group. Charlie Crist, $80,000. Bill Richardson, $43,000. Marco Rubio, $39,000. George Bush, $37,000. Henry Culler out of Texas, thirty-three or $36,000. Susanna Martinez, New Mexico. And these are the states. Charlie Crist, of course, So we already talked about Geo Group Just got 57 million dollars for one contract Of course he's taken 80 grand from him Bill Richardson, New Mexico, another one of the most Privatized states I believe that was Gary Johnson was out there The governor for a while, He's Mr. Green Party Mr. Good Guy, Mr. Good Alternative Lesser of the Evils He's a private prison kingpin Took all the private prison money Sold his state out Marco Rubio, Florida, again another one He's moaning about the, the Cuba deal Mr. Law and Order, we already know George Bush, Henry Culler out of Texas, Susanna Martinez, New Mexico again, 33,000, Jerry Kilgore, Virginia, Old Plantation, Slave State, 28,000, Robert McDonald, Virginia, another 28,000, Jerry Brown, Mr. California, I'm going to fight in the courts to keep from letting people out, man, took a quick 26 grand. Meg Whitman, California, his Republican counterpart. See, Jerry Brown's Democrat, so you know, and then you got the Republicans in the same in the same kitty, taking the same amount of money. Republicans took overall three point five million dollars from GeoGroup. Group. The Democrats overall took one million. Other parties took two hundred and forty thousand. These are all numbers that are made available to the feds this isn't me just making up something or whatever this is federally available information they have to disclose this and like I said we don't know that what they disclose even touches the surface of what they really put out there because we know what people do once they get caught then the truth comes out then they start telling and these people are affecting through Alec American Legislative Exchange Council—they're affecting laws. Hell, in Arizona, third they got thirty-five legislators who belong to Alec. This is the the stitching, this holding it together, people. It's not the the highly publicized police busts and the. It's not people are such criminals that's really something that i just I, I have to get across to you it's not that the people just became such criminals this did not turn into a, a country or our society is just full of bandits and pirates and rogues people still want to go to work for a living people still want to have the freedom of they go to work they take their paycheck they take care of their family do what they want to do and most of the time it's some sort of leisure most of the time it's some sort of a luxury Most of the time it's some sort of education, picking up some sort of a trade, become a business owner. The vast majority of people that you meet in this country just want to have some source of personal industry to assure their own personal future and their children's future. You are not living in a society full of people that can't wait till you turn your back so they can rob you blind and go right next door with all your stuff. You're not living in a society full of rogues and and pirates, bandits. But the numbers of how many people we incarcerate state to state, federally, locally, on probation, parole programs, house arrest programs, these percentages that we tell you about on this program would indicate with 5% of the world's population and 25% of all persons incarcerated on the planet here, with more children, with parents who are incarcerated here in America than anywhere else on the planet you would be led to believe by all of these indicators that we're just a bunch of damn criminals over here what we are is a bunch of people that keep voting for people that are in league with one another to make this the incarceration nation and as according to the 13th amendment, once they can get us incarcerated then they can enslave us and until one of them answers to that Thirteenth Amendment, what else could they really talk to you about when you've got thirty five legislators in the, in the state of Arizona alone members of Alec, and we know Alec is constantly they're bipartisan we know they're constantly putting more and more laws on the on the books, crafting legislation to look out for their own best interests of their members. We know this we've been able to shame people into getting away from alec and saying they're not a part of that anymore it's still growing strong it's still generating money your vote doesn't put money in a person's pocket maybe that's the thing that will make you understand if you're not understanding if you understand and and you need some help to get motivated maybe that's something that will motivate you is your vote doesn't put money in their pockets what's putting money in their pockets as the corporations and in this case we're not talking about uh, GMOs we're not talking about the oil industry and blocking solar we're not talking about all these other concerns which are major concerns we're talking about prison slavery and the geo group and CCA and MTC and the correctional vendors associations and on down the freaking line the Wexford HealthCares and the Corizon Health Cares the Keefe Group these are the people that are making this an incarceration nation best believe that's what's happening I gotta move quickly we're about to be uh at the end of our time, let me just mention this young brother's name and his story briefly. Our unexplainable black death profile is brother Brandon McLeod. September 1, 2005, in the early morning of September first, the police told his grandmother, Dorothy Chapel to go nowhere, stay by her car as she was leaving for work. At gunpoint, they held her down. Three more officers went through the front door of the house, forced Brandon's uncle out in his underclothes and held, held him there at gunpoint as two detectives was barging into their home. Next, repeated shots were heard inside the house. Brandon, a 15-year-old, was shot 10 times, four times, to the face. The cops came out, and witnesses reported some of them were on their cell phones laughing and talking. Meanwhile, Brandon's uncle and grandmother were horrified and crying, still held at gunpoint. Within 24 hours of the killing, the head of the police union called the police just doing their job because the youth was nothing more than a quote-unquote street thug who held up a pizza delivery man, and the cops said he was lunging at them with a knife when they came in. The knife was later shown to be proven as having come from the kitchen. His grandmother said Brandon was assassinated. The only knife that he may have even had was a bread knife because he used to eat in his bedroom. So there you have it, another 15-year-old. Before Mike Brown and why people was going off after Mike Brown, there was a whole lot of Mike Browns. People are going to keep going off because they just keep being more Mike Browns. So rest in peace, Brother Brandon McLeod. This has been the Abolitionist Daily, the daily report on the Black Talk Radio Network. This is Johann and Elia. I will put all the links of the information we discussed on the Facebook pages. Send me an email at new abolitionists radio at gmail.com. Other than that, I have to say peace to the abolitionists and death to these oppressors. Thank you.